these are not object lessons. I don't know why they're there. Um, I'm Chris. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, every once in a while, Darren and Ken um, take a little break and um, leave the super smart, educational, generous guy and uh, Gene in charge. Um, I'm joking. I did, that didn't go over well. And I see Darren's here, which means I can't tell the next one. So, uh, so, so here we are. Um, we are going through the book of Matthew. And um, so there, there are some, uh, obviously, the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount are, are amazing and um, difficult. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Darren talked about uh, hatred in your heart and uh, uh, being murder to Jesus. The, the penalty is the same. And then Ken talked about marriage and uh, remarriage and divorce yesterday, or yesterday, last, it felt like yesterday. Um, but it was last week. And today uh, we get to talk about lust, adultery, plucking your own eye out. So I'm grateful to be here. Uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us so much as a congregation. And Lord, it's an honor to be a part of your, your body. Uh, Lord, we pray that your words would uh, sink deep into our hearts, that your spirit would uh, reveal in us uh, what we need to do and, and, and who we need to be for you. And Lord, we, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that, uh, that you educate us um, every time you speak. And Lord, we, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us today. And help me to get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this is Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Uh, I had a couple sermon, sermons, message titles. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, is what I landed on. I also toyed with, Jesus, why'd you have to say that? But <laughs> that's where we are. Uh, last week, Lance uh, was leading worship, and he tried to get, I don't know where he is in here, but tried to get a response thing going where he said, my sins, they are many, and the response was, his mercy is more. We're going to do that one more time because Lance said last week that it wasn't going to catch on, and I'm going to do my best to honor Lance, and, and it's a true statement anyway, so my sins, they are many, amen. Um, so, Jesus, speaking in uh, Matthew 5, 27 through 30, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. One of the benefits of, of doing a, a book of the Bible is that we don't, um, we don't gloss over difficult things, uh, especially if Jesus said it. This is, this is where we are. And so um, it's, it's not easy. And his word is not easy, and following him is not easy. Um, but it is good, and he is good. And so... Um, the, the first, uh, first reference is to adultery. And so uh, Exodus 20:14 says, you shall not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And Leviticus uh, says that it's punishable by death. It says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. 
Now, as Darren said a couple weeks ago, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said. So Jesus isn't trying to necessarily quote the, the commandment or scripture. He is, he is really referencing the, the way that um, the leaders of the, the law have distorted uh, or added their own traditions to the law and around the Old Testament, around the Old Testament law. And so that's why he says, um, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so um, he's really addressing that. So he's not saying that, um, he's not referencing the, the, the law itself. Uh, does that make sense? Um, so Moses and the scribes didn't emphasize the, the internal aspects of the law. They were really just looking at the external act of the law. You should not commit adultery. Um, and, and if you did, and you were caught, you're, you're, you're dead. You're punishable by death. It was punishable by death. Um, and for many, though, as the, as the traditions and things started to evolve, and, and it sort of became a conveniently narrow definition of the sin. Uh, you were either, either an adulterer or you weren't. Um, and so part of that narrow definition is in Deuteronomy, is referenced in Deuteronomy 24. I didn't give this one to him because I don't want to focus too much on it. But it basically is saying, uh, references divorcing a woman because she is displeasing. Um, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. So according to the scribes and some of the traditions, a man can divorce a woman uh, for uh, if he's grown cold towards her or if he didn't like her cooking. And a law that was uh, clearly designed to protect the sanctity of marriage, and even the, the women of Israel was turned into an escape clause for self-indulgent men. And um, they were pious, and they were proud, they were arrogant, and uh, Jesus was talking to them. He was talking to them because they thought they were righteous, and they weren't. He, he knew the condition of their hearts, and he knows the condition of ours too. And it was very natural, probably as it is today, for us to go, okay, thou, thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. All right, I, I, I didn't do that. I'm good on that one. Ha ha. You know, it almost gets this uh, little smug little, I haven't done that. And uh, Jesus isn't talking to me. Problem is, Jesus is talking to all of us. And um, Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So Jesus is really introducing a new standard to, uh, to his law. And it's humbling. Few of us uh, have not crossed the line from attraction to lust. And it should fill us with a, a poverty of spirit, a humility um, that makes us realize that we're, we're really spiritually bankrupt without him. It should make us amazed that God loves us the way he does in spite of, in spite of who we are and what we've done. Jesus carries us to a place that we never saw coming, but he always intended. He says, but I say, you know, Jesus is speaking with authority. Um, in the matter of the heart is what he's addressing. It's the heart of the matter. Now, in this life, uh, in this world, in this country, the, much like a couple weeks ago, the penalty for uh, hatred is not the same as the penalty for murder. But Jesus said they were the same. And like that, the penalty and the consequences of lust are different than the consequences of, of adultery. But, and that's here. 
But what Jesus is saying is that to him, they receive the same penalty. He calls a halt to the distortion of, of God's word by the teachers of the law and um, basically says that the lust that leads to adultery will, will take you to hell. The consequence is hell. It actually breaches several of the Ten Commandments, um, the, the one that forbids it, um, coveting, which leads to theft, and idolatry. And so if, if you're good on uh, uh, adultery, how about coveting and theft and all the rest? Uh, guilty of one, guilty of all. And so he's not, and, and Jesus isn't looking about, talking about just um, ad admiring someone's beauty or that someone's handsome. Um, it's a gaze, not a glance. It's a, it's a fantasy and not just, a, oh, he's, he's good looking, she's pretty. Because to him, remember he said, but I tell you, they're the same. And it starts in the heart. So what does the Bible say about the heart? Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that's uplifting and encouraging. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 4.23. I stole that from Darren. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. And we need to recognize that those thoughts that are in our head or the, the feelings in our heart, while they aren't exactly the same here, they, they open the door to the possibility of it, of it happening. And um, we need to take dramatic action to avoid them. And Jesus goes on to talk about that too. Um, so it might be, I'm not gonna use this, it might be hard to believe, not an not a object lesson. Um, hard to believe, but um, for a brief time in history, um, I rode a motorcycle. And uh, it wasn't mine. A friend of mine was moving, and he decided that he wanted to leave it in my garage and said, use it, treat it like it's yours. And so I did, every day. <laughs> um, but I took the class that tried it, and um, Amy was okay with it because we'd put our kids on uh, motorcycles, those smaller motorcycles in Uganda, so they capitalized on that, right? Um, but not really. It was it was pretty amazing. But the, in the class, um, they they overemphasized. I thought they were over, overemphasizing it, but they really were saying, "Your bike goes where your head goes," right? And anybody who and it's actually the same for cars too. We were talking earlier. Uh, your bike's going to go where your eyes are going. So if you're looking at the curb, you're most likely going to hit the curb. And um, I didn't get it until I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're right. So you wanted to keep your eyes forward as you know, far as possible and even farther at night. Um, but it's, it's much like that with our heart, I, I think. Our, our bike's going to go where our head's going, where our heart is. And, um, and that's why God wants us to... to um, ask him to create a clean heart in us. That's why he says the things in your heart are, the things in your heart are sin. I mean, our heart is a deceitful thing above all things and beyond cure. And um, he's saying that those, those thoughts and actions and the, the feelings in your heart, those are sin to me. And that's hard stuff. 
So we have to reach out to God. Uh, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, God wants to refine us. Um, a few years ago, um, we were at Dean Steve's. We had the... Um, um, Francis Chan had a long thing on, on James, and he was talking about the refining fire. And um, the Bible refers to the crucible, crucible for silver, the refinement of precious metals, and that that um, consider God the, the, the refiner, the silversmith, and we're the, we're the silver, and, and he tests it, he adds heat, and uh, this dross rises to the top, it's not pure silver, and so he scoops it off, and he repeats the process. In fact, Proverbs 25, four through five says, remove the dross from the silver, and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove wicked officials from the king's presence, and his throne will be established through righteousness. So if you consider, consider God as, as refining us at like silver, he continues to test us. Test doesn't mean, um, all right, Chris, what's eight plus seven? Um, it's, um, it's, it's heat, in this case, um, a lot of heat in the, in the process of refinement. And he scoops that dross off and he does it again. He keeps doing it. And um, what the, the video that we watched revealed was that the silversmith knew he was done when he could see his reflection in the silver. And that's what we want, right? We, that's why we ask God to give us a, a pure heart, a clean heart. So God, when, when God, at the end of the day, when he, he looks at us and, and he sees his own reflection in, in what we do and who we are, and he sees his own reflection in our hearts, in our actions. In fact, uh, James 1, 2 through 4 it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We need to leave our sins behind. And Jesus makes it very clear here that the things that we don't necessarily consider sin are. And we need to let God refine us. Uh, Decided I was going to reference John 8, 2 through 11. It was the, um, the woman who was caught in adultery. So we're going to read that. At dawn, he appeared again, he meaning Jesus, in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What? Now, what do you say? Which is actually interesting because um, we started this with Jesus saying, but I say, it's almost, I know they're trying to trick him. They, they were trying to trap him. But in some ways, they're inadvertently actually recognizing his authority. They weren't trying to, not at all. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, the wiser. I added that because I'm getting older. Um, until only Jesus was left with the woman stand, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So Jesus makes it clear that he's not condemning her. He calls out the hypocrisy of those who were condemning her and um, willing to stone her and um, shows her grace and mercy. But he also says, go and sin no more. Leave your, leave your life of sin. And um, so one, one of the things I, that caught my attention this time was that Jesus wrote in the sand twice. And we don't know what he wrote. Um, and we, you know, we can, we can guess, but there's no way to really know. But for me, this became a, a lesson in um, drawing a line in the sand. That it didn't matter what Jesus wrote, because what he said was, you need to draw a line in the sand in your own life. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And he challenged her and said, go and sin no more. And so we need to draw a line in the sand with sin in our lives, not just lust and adultery, but all of them. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going there anymore. So how do we do that? Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So... Jesus does give us an answer as to how to draw a line in the sand. While we don't take it literally, um, there's a lesson in it in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go in the hell, into hell. See, the eyes can entice the heart, and the heart, enticed by the eyes, directs the hands. So does Jesus want us to literally cut off our hands or gouge out our eyes? And honestly, um, I don't know if we, we, any of us would be here with hands or eyes if, if, we, if that were actually the case, and we took them literally. Um, he wants us to realize that sin leads to hell. It's as clear as, as that, and that he considers this sin. He said that hell's the direction where sin leads. And he has something better for us. And so, while you don't have to cut out your eyes or your hands, he wants us to deal with sin aggressively, immediately, and decisively. If you need to cancel Netflix, then do it. For some, that's their right hand. If you need to get a flip phone, then do that. You need to quit your job to guard your heart? Prayerfully consider it. If you need to get rid of your romance novels, do that. If you need better friends, you may need better friends. <laughs> um, you know, our friends affect us. The Bible says it. I had a friend, uh, a friend at an old church who, um, he was married and decided he wanted to have a girlfriend. And he was in the men's group. And so a few of us guys got together with him, which we're called to do when a brother or sister is sinning. And we, we called him on it. And we said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And he, he was pretty pretty resilient and, um, or resonant, I'm not sure what the word is, but he wasn't listening to us, <laughs> okay? And 
uh, we said, what about your kids? And he, he said, oh, my kids, I love my kids. I'd do anything for my kids. And I said, um, apparently not. You know, uh, we need to do whatever we have to do to avoid sin. And for, for our eternal soul, for the, for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our church body, we need to do whatever we have to do. Um, and, and Jesus is addressing you and your sin, me and my sin. He didn't, he didn't say, um, cut out your friend's eye or cut off your friend's hand or cut off her hand. Uh, Matthew 7, 4 through 5 said, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all, that time, all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother, brother's eye. When I take from that, aside from, that's not about accountability, that's about making sure you're, you're good when, you, um, when you're addressing somebody, particularly the same, the same issue. But don't blame other people for your sin. Take responsibility for it. Now there's truth in avoiding doing or saying things that cause a brother or a sister to stumble. But blaming how people dress or whether you're satisfied at home on the condition of your heart and the actions that come from your heart, Jesus put that to death. And to me, actually, to me, that's no different than the scribes' escape clause for their self-indulgence. Don't blame others. Jesus, Jesus killed that. Own it. it it's not fun to own it. <laughs> but you don't have it for long if you own it and give it to God. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So Jesus says, Lust is sin. Now you know. <laughs> right? Um, so why did he have to say that? You know, it sounds funny at the beginning. Jesus, why did you have to say that? I mean, come on. He doesn't want us to go to hell. And that's where sin leads, period. Um, Francis Chan, I know I referenced him earlier, um, he said, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. There's good news, right? Right there. He is good news. Jesus is good news. And, and I think a lesson from this is that the greater understanding we have of the depth and depravity and the scope of our sin, well, the greater our understanding is of how we need a Savior. Romans 5.8 said, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, um, We had, a, we had a miracle take place in our, our house a couple years ago, and it wasn't in our house. It might have been. But anyway, I had a cardiac arrest and um, was down for 48 minutes. 
and people were praying, this church, people were praying for a miracle. And I've talked to some people about miracles since then. And you know the worst part about a miracle is that you need a miracle? The worst part about sin is, is how you feel right, right now. It's not about condemnation. It's about revelation that, that the sin that's inside us, in our hearts, in our minds, and our actions, requires a miracle. And that's what Jesus did. He, he, he put to death that sin. Now, we have, we have some, some things we need to, to do. And Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, this isn't just about saying a prayer. You know, you don't just say a prayer and all of a sudden, we're good. Um, it's a good start. It's about a lifestyle. And, you know, oftentimes I, I, I think that my friend back there probably would have taken a bullet for, for his, his wife. But he wouldn't live for her. And, and we've talked about this before. It's really, it's really a lot easier to say that I would, I would die for something than to live for it. It's easy to say, I, I, would, I would die for, for Jesus, I would die for my faith, I would die for my wife and kids, and I would. Um, but it, the, the hard part is living for them and living for your faith. And that's what we need to do and be for, for Jesus. We need to commit our hearts to him. And so it's, it's not just a prayer, but it sure does take a lot of prayer. And it's not trying to, we don't do things to try to earn salvation. We do things for Christ because of our salvation, as a result of our salvation. Because we're grateful. But boy, we sure need it, don't we? And it stinks when Jesus reminds us of how bad of sinners we are. It stinks. But we've been saved by the cross. And the same God that said, this is how I see it, is the same one who rescues us from it. And that's a pretty good deal. So don't run from what he says. Don't skip over that verse on July, whatever it is today. Don't skip it. Don't skip it in your, in your minds, in your hearts, in your prayers, in your Bible reading. Don't skip it, because the same God that's telling you you're a sinner is the one that's rescuing you from it. What an incredible deal that is. The woman caught in adultery. There was grace, there was mercy, there was forgiveness. There's also drawing the line in the sand and saying, oh, I'm gonna own, I'm gonna own what, I, what I am, who I am um, in my heart. I'm gonna own that. And I'm not gonna cross that line anymore. I'm drawing the line in the sand. I don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand, but I'm gonna write the same thing, <laughs> okay? That's what I want. I don't wanna live like that. Make that decision. You know, and no one should, should leave here feeling guilty or condemned because Jesus wasn't, wasn't trying to condemn us. He was trying to alert us because he loves us. He's trying to save us. Reach your hand out and grab it. It's, it's just there. Um, draw the line in the sand. 
So I don't know if I've been talking for an hour and a half or 10 minutes, but I will tell you that, that no one has to leave here feeling beaten up or condemned or I joke with my job that when a meeting's starting to go south, like the bus, I, I'll actually say it sometimes. I'm like, I can hear the bus backing up over me, <laughs> okay? It's not like that. It's, it's just our Savior telling us that we need him. And if, if we're arrogant and we change the rules and we decide that, uh, oh, we don't, we're not guilty of that, that's a red flag. And um, for Jesus, because he, he shows grace to the humble, right? But not to the proud. He humbles them. And so um, we are going to pray. And then um, going to continue to worship. But um, first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hard stuff that opens our eyes to ourselves. Thank you for being in our hearts, occupying us with your spirit for those who, who know you and love you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for showing us what's wrong and saving us from it. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes so that we can see you more clearly. We pray that you, you will open our ears so that, that we could hear you more clearly. Ultimately, that's what we want. And for those who don't know you, Lord, if, if there's someone listening or watching that doesn't know you, we pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would tune into you, that we would all tune into you and know you a little bit more because of the hard stuff. Lord, we know you didn't come because we're just occasionally bad. You came while we were being wretched to save us from stuff that we didn't even know we were being wretched. <laughs> so thank you. We love you and um, worship you. And to you alone be the glory in Jesus' name. So we're going to um, have the musicians come back up. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. And um, I want you to take this time, take this opportunity to, to just talk to God. Tell him what's on your heart. Yeah, he knows. I mean, he knows what's on your heart. But um, tell him. Make it a conversation. He's listening, and he wants to talk to you. And, and so... Like I said, you don't have to leave here feeling the weight of, of your sin. You can leave here knowing the depth and the breath, breath and the, um, the pain that it causes you and others. But Jesus took care of all that by, uh, with the cross. And so we're going, to, we're going to take communion, come down the aisles and off to the left or right. And... Um, Take a minute before, before doing that and, and open yourself up to God. Open up your heart to God and, and, and talk to him. And walk out of here knowing that the same God, um, the same God that is, is telling us what's, 
what's sin and what's not, is the one that saves us from it. And that's a really good deal for us. Take advantage of it, okay? All right.